This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hi there. Welcome to Connecting Disability on AMI-audio. I'm Megan Gilmore, and I'm so glad to spend this time with you today. Our guest today is a young woman who is making waves across the National Hockey League. Chanel Keenan is the intersectionality consultant for the Seattle Kraken, and she joined us to talk about what it looks like to make professional sports accessible for fans with disabilities. This is a super fun conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. But before we get to it, there's a couple things I think you should know. This was recorded on February 23rd, which was the day before the show Law & Order returned to TV. And as you'll hear, Chanel and I were really excited about that. It was also just before Russia invaded Ukraine. I know that these past few weeks have been really hard for all of us, especially if you have friends or family in Ukraine. And I hope that wherever you are right now, however you're feeling, that these next few moments just give you some joy and some rest. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Chanel Keenan. Chanel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. You've become a bit of a celebrity in the sports world. For those listeners who aren't familiar with you and your work, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. My name is Chanel, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. And I currently work remotely for the Seattle Kraken, which are the 32nd NHL team for the National Hockey League. And I've been working for them for about 15 months, completely remote. So that's been quite the journey. And my job is their intersectionality consultant. And that is a very layered description of what it is. But basically, I help them with accessibility, physical accessibility, employee onboarding, fan experience. I'm pretty much all over the place in the organization. I had a bit of a unique hiring. I was found after I wrote an article just about my frustrations with the lack of progressive movement, I would say, in the NHL and the feeling that they weren't doing the best that they could be doing, but also pretending that they were the best at being upfront and inclusive. But it was really kind of quite the opposite, especially when it comes to the disabled community. And although I have my job and I am a disabled woman, I'm still the only one with this type of role within a singular club. And I'm hoping to normalize this sort of job so that all 32 teams have someone like me in their organization. You've mentioned how one of your roles is working with employee onboarding. I'm just curious, are there any other disabled employees at the Kraken? Yes, uh, I have a really great friend who works in the organization. And it's interesting, we've had a couple conversations about the various buildings that we're in that are tied to our organization. And we've had some challenges. And we've been really open and honest with each other about those. I only really have him to go to and to talk about things that we're going through. And and that's honestly nice just to know that he has someone in me and I have someone in him to confide in. When you started working with the team, did you think that there would be another disabled colleague? I was hopeful. I think it was definitely not the assumption going in there. However, the difference between me and my colleague is that I'm very front-facing. My role is very 
unique at the moment. It's not the norm. He did what I was planning to do, sort of, and took a more traditional route and ended up working in sports, which I think was probably a dream of his, but in a different way. I went to school for communication and I had an interest in social media and and fan-related things just from an average fan experience, not even a disabled one. Um, And I kind of couldn't see what that was going to look like for someone with a disability at the time because I only had the experience of seeing what is currently produced for the average fan that's not specifically tailored to someone like myself. You talked about things that aren't tailored for someone like yourself. So could you just explain what your disability is and how that impacts the way that you watch hockey? Yeah, so I have something called osteogenesis imperfecta. It's been something I've been able to say since I was about three and a half years old, maybe a little bit sooner. It's a bunch of jumble that basically means that I have brittle bones. And for my case specifically, I use a power wheelchair to get around. There's a lot of different variations of my disability, so that's really interesting to see. And so for me, my experience with hockey, although I love going in person and I grew up around the game because of my brothers, I found it more enjoyable to watch at home where I could be as close as I wanted to be and you get all the angles and you get the play-by-play. So it's kind of the stark reality when I went to my first in-person game and it's like almost dead silent. How are you able to make your in-person watching experience of a hockey game, how are you able to make that accessible for you? It's complicated because there's a lot of layers to the situation. A lot of hockey, especially professional hockey, is pretty inaccessible just from an economic standpoint. Here in the States, you can't resale accessible seats, which means you can't buy them cheaper on StubHub or Ticketmaster. You have to either call box offices or the actual ticket company or some sort of specialized number. There's a lot of hoops to jump through and the average person can just go online, put the tickets in their basket and call it a day. But I have to do three more steps to get to that point. And I personally haven't had a hands-on experience with the Kraken in this regard because I'm surrounded by ticket reps. So I can just be like, hello please help for me it's trying to balance you know visual accessibility like from sightline situation and what is the cheapest at this point honestly i just got out of college almost a year ago you mentioned a few moments ago that you got your current job based partly on an open letter that you wrote back in august 2020 called i'm a free agent not a token hire I wanted to talk about another article you wrote that came out shortly after that one called Please Remember Me. Mm -hmm. You begin by describing, we call it your deep love of hockey. You say that you look to this game for comfort and community. It tends to give me the opposite sometimes, and for that, I love it too. You've already described some of the challenges that you've faced being a hockey fan who uses a wheelchair, but I'm just curious, what is the comfort and community that you've found through hockey? I've been on what is sort of categorized as hockey Twitter for a while now, and building connections online and finding this commonality of being a fan of one team in particular and I was doing something where I was essentially like live tweeting slash reacting to almost every game that I could watch. And so over time, people would find those or like comment on it or whatever. And it wasn't anything in depth and there weren't like stats attached to it. It would just be literally me like 
five reacting as uh, a 13 and 14 year old. I sort of built community in that regard. And obviously, that's translated into the pandemic times even more. I really don't think I would have had gotten this job opportunity if we haven't slowed down and if we haven't been put into weird situations where there was a time and a place to have a call to action, so to speak, and to take the time to actually educate the people around us, even professional athletes. And because I wasn't seeing that, you know, I spoke to it in in those articles and feeling kind of like let down by a community that I put my entire soul into. In a sense, you know, people ask me like, oh, like, now that you're doing this sort of full-time or like what do you do when you're not working and and I'm just like I watch games I watch hockey games I'm lucky enough that I have two teams that I sort of get to root for and you know when one is doing bad I can kind of fall back on the other one or vice versa it's been really nice to sort of develop this relationship with people and for me the ones that I you know I found most important I've been able to meet in person and I think you know it's hard to tell this line of like having parasocial relationships with people and it's still being like an authentic friendship at the same time because those can be kind of challenging to reconcile with so like you know I I met you the other day right but we would need some more you know serious hours of talking about law and order before I like call you my good friend you know what I mean this is your first job which is a big deal for Mm -hmm. anyone to get a job so quickly out of college And then add on the economic situation right now with the pandemic and then add on having a a visible physical disability. Those are a lot of things to overcome to even get a job. Mm -hmm. And your first job is a public facing job where the world knows you as the female wheelchair user who works for the hockey team in Seattle. Your disability is now part of your professional mm-hmm. life and profile. How how do you feel about that? Was, was that something you ever thought would happen, that your disability would be so integral to your profession? Absolutely not. <laughs> not even close. I think I spent a lot of my childhood trying to make sure that I didn't become this person that is solely identifiable by my disability or sort of was put in this position where I go around and talk about my disability all the time. It's funny because some of my core memories and ones that I found the most impactful for me as a person is I used to talk to medical students at Harvard. I had a physician that was from there and she asked me and my mom if we'd come and speak to some medical students. I can now see in hindsight how there was probably a chance I was going to do something like this. I didn't think it would be possible, I think, for a really long time that I could marry the two things that define me personally, like within myself of that, you know, the sports community and my disability. Initially, when I was trying to break into hockey a little bit, immediately directed into to the realm of para hockey or whatever, sledge hockey, and they automatically wanted to get me outside of professional men's hockey within like the NHL setting. And I sniffed that out pretty quickly. And I was like, no, like, I really want to work here. Like, this is the sport that I consume the most. Other than when the Paralympics come around every couple of years, that's the only time I really get formalized exposure to it. I wanted to delve into that a little bit more. So I'm speaking to you. It's the end of February. I'm very grateful that you've decided to come on and speak to me, seeing that the Canadian women's team did beat your women's team in Olympic hockey not too long ago. And by the time this airs, the Paralympics will be over. So we're in this time of the year where we are talking about Olympic sport and Paralympic sport. 
I'm just curious for you, why do you think it's important to have people with disabilities included in professional sport? Wow, that's a great question. I think it's it's tough because the fact that you have to ask that is is why I do what I do. The fact that that's just not a normal thing. I would hope that people would walk into the office or roll in, and in my case, and not even like blink an eye that someone like me is there. But instead, at the moment, it's such a first type thing. You know, I want to get people away from the idea that you have to keep disabled people in a box and only allow them to work in disability adjacent sports or categories or jobs. Half the battle for me is people assuming what I can do and what I can't do. And I'm pretty transparent about what I can do and what I can't do. And a lot of my job is basically talking and unfortunately I can talk all day. So that's not a problem at all. Any professional sport truly is a reflection of our society, right? So it doesn't make any sense to not have disabled people involved. And to have them involved in a way that's, you know, meaningful, in a way that makes sense, in a way that they're qualified for. And I think, you know, there are some misconceptions that I'm punching above my weight a little bit at times. But really, I don't do anything more than I know how because I don't want to make the franchise look bad. I don't want to do anything wrong by our community from a Seattle standpoint and from a disability standpoint. You know, we outsource so many other opinions because I can only give my own and my own personal experiences, and that too has its limitations. So in turn, I've kind of opened the door a little bit more for other disabled people. Talk me through some of the initiatives that you've been able to do in Seattle to make the fan experience more accessible for disabled fans? Yeah, one of my favorite things and one that I'm I'm most proud of is it's one that's really starting to become more common. But for me, it was sort of an eye-opening experience with our arena team at the time. I explained to them that like here at home in Boston, I don't often get concessions. And if I do, I am having like who's ever with me get them for me because I don't want to pay $20 for a thing of chicken strips. I'm just going to drop them on the way back or be caught up in the line and miss some of the game. Like, it's just not worth it. So I asked them, I was like, is it possible for us to have some sort of concierge service sort of in the ADA or accessible seating areas? So that can be easier for someone if they want to get food that they can without even having to leave their seat. And they basically told me, like, just shoot any idea that you have. Dream big, essentially, which is totally the opposite of what I have had experience before in professional sports. And I think that's just because our our budget and the people around me are just thinking differently and are really open to these what seem like wild ideas, but are really just good for the revenue in the long haul. Because if you make it easier for me to buy food or drinks, I will likely get them. And when I was out there in October, I wanted to try it out for myself because because I wanted to see if it worked and it and it worked really well. And I was really happy and it was pretty quick turnaround for something like this. There's a lot of technology involved that's way above my pay grade and I was just really pleased with how it went. Do you think it's easier to do it in Seattle because this is a new team? You're building the culture now, you're building what will become tradition later on? Absolutely. I think there's such a limitation. I I knew my whole life that 
the Bruins, for example, were an original six team, and that's common for many people. And I think you can see how strict their cultures are, those original six teams. You can see the lack of change in, in some of their core values that don't necessarily you know, reflect today's world or just today's difference in cultures. And I, knowing that that was already an issue was not motivating for me, at least to try and do anything here in Boston. Seattle alone is is really unique. They are pretty progressive over there, and it's the West Coast, and there's just a a totally different vibe. I try to be like the most polite that I can be ever, and I've been told Seattle can be described as passive sometimes. Like they're not confrontational; they're really gentle with each other, but also kind of cold. I'm from the East Coast. I'm gonna tell you straight up if I'm feeling you know down or whatever, or if I need help. It's just a different culture as a whole than being on the other side of what feels like the planet, but it's just a country. It's, it's definitely been easier to change an organization that has a culture but is simultaneously developing its, its culture. What are some of the things you would like to see first your team and then other teams do in the league to make hockey more accessible for disabled fans? I think it's just a matter of being able to look beyond the average fan and sometimes I really it pains me but I have to be like there's monetary value to paying attention to the disabled community there's monetary value in interacting more with us and not just doing it on a charitable basis when it looks good for us it's really hard to get them to care about the population of disabled people when they're adults. And that's been such a hard conversation to not have with people. I don't like bring it up a lot because it's just such a nuanced thing. And I have plenty of examples of it, which is kind of sad where, you know, we find these amazing families with these tragic stories and either there's a child with a disability or they have an illness or there's just these things that come up which is real life. And you know that those children have a great time when their make-a-wish is fulfilled. Like I was a wish kid, so I know what that's like. And that's not taking away from them or their story. But it really is harder to get corporations of any kind, like not even just the NHL, to care about the specific population of people, you know, when we're not these cute little kids anymore, when we need jobs, when we have families to provide for, and they just don't have that assumption. And yet the ticket prices are so high, and they don't match what the average income for a disabled person has available to them. It's honestly just the hypocrisy that's the toughest to deal with. Why do you think it is that corporations like sports teams have a harder time thinking about disabled adults? I really don't know. I think in a lot of ways, it's much easier to approach a child that you can definitely pity and that may not have their own opinions and voice yet. But if you were to come up to me and to pity me and to, I mean, in some cases, people have like prayed over me. I think it's harder for people to not be scared or intimidated by an adult with a disability because most likely will tell you how it is and will tell you that, you know, you're either being weird or inappropriate or whatever. So I think there's this innate feeling of not wanting to embarrass yourself and to do something wrong. 
um, interpret to say something wrong. And for me, that is just not the way that we grow any game, let alone hockey. So it's been interesting to try and bring people down to earth in some ways and be like, you don't have to treat us differently or, or special. You just basically just have to talk to me how you would talk to anyone that you have respect for. I do know that you have encountered other Bruins fans or other sports fans who have disabilities. And at times they've helped you have a better experience at a sporting event. I was just wondering if you could tell our listeners that story. Yeah, one of the first games that I went to, I was, I don't even know who I was with, but there was not a, a ton of us in the accessible seating area. And there was this older man and he had another person with him. And I don't know the relationship between the two of them. He had a cane and he sat down and I really didn't think anything of it because, you know, I didn't turn around and ask him like, how well can you see? Which is kind of just like whatever. And then the funny part and that I mentioned earlier is when I went to these earlier games, it would still confuse me that there wasn't a play-by-play announcer. I think it took maybe the third or fourth game for it to really set in for me because otherwise, you know, I'm watching it on TV. The game was getting going and all of a sudden I heard this man next to me start essentially doing a play-by-play of the game. But I, at some point, there was a point where it was clear that he couldn't see what was going on. And it was so impressive to me. Like, I'm looking at him. He's basically doing a play-by-play. And not in a way that was obnoxious. It was, I honestly took the moment to be, like, really just blown away by how well he knew what was going on. And he was asking the person next to him who was with him certain questions about, like, who specifically was where but he knew exactly where all these guys were and it blew me away honestly and it was one of those moments where I I don't even know if there was a thought in my mind that was like oh like so weird that a blind person is here like to see slash not see the game like it never crossed my mind in that way it was just like just like wow like that's really cool that this man who cannot see what's literally going on in front of us can tell exactly where everybody is in regards to where he is and all these things that was a really eye-opening experience for me because any shred of maybe internalized ableism and I was pretty young when this happened so like I don't even you know that wasn't even a word to me at the time but like I definitely now and and then like have this concrete example of how even and even is in quotes even a blind person can enjoy and understand hockey better than me who is sighted so it has nothing to do with the ability aspect if, if you take the time to learn the game and to really hone in on certain skills I mean, you can learn. He still probably knows more than I do, and I would be happy to learn hockey from him. One of my first introductions to journalism was listening to play-by-play sports, baseball or hockey with my dad, and having this moment of like, oh, I guess that's the job that I won't be doing. You know, people always ask me, how does your disability affect your job? I'm like, you know, they don't send me out to do game day sports coverage. Like, I don't know why. (laughs) But hearing that story, I'm like, you know, maybe one day we're going to have a blind or visually impaired play-by-play sports commentator and Mm -hmm. nobody's going to bat an eye at it. For you, what would you want your legacy and hockey to be? When I learned about Joey Moss in the Edmonton Oilers organization, it kind of dawned on me that a lot of what I do and a lot of how I try to treat people 
is so that when the time comes, like people remember me as a kind and an impactful person. Learning about Joey Moss's impact and learning about his authentic inclusion into the Edmonton Oilers organization was something that felt both really parallel to my story and completely different and unique and beautiful on its own. And so learning about his life and his impact on the organization and how moved people were by his presence. It was full-on love and support for this person who impacted generations of that organization. Like you have, you know, the head of it all, Wayne Gretzky, but then you have someone like Connor McDavid who still remembers him and had experiences with him as well. So that is essentially what I want to do in some ways is have a sort of impact like that. But for me, it's more of a relationship with the fans and within the internal part of my organization. I wouldn't say I I want a player to know who I am. I don't care if they know who I am. I actually would prefer if they don't know who I am. But trying to build this relationship with Seattle a little bit and, and the people that I work with because those are the people that are going to be directly affected by what I do or don't. And so I take that really, like I take that with a huge responsibility. And so it's it's an interesting thing to navigate, but that's sort of how I want to be remembered is just by someone who did what they set out to do and, and changed things for the better. Now, Chanel, before I ask you the final questions of this podcast, I want to do a quick little lightning round with you. Are you ready for this? I hope so. Boston's known for cannolis. Do you have a favorite cannoli? Oh, this is going to be controversial. I'm not a dessert person. I'm such a savory girl through and through. I'll get like bursts where I want something sweet. I've had a hankering for chocolate chip cookies this month. To answer the question, I don't know because I don't think I like cannolis. (laughs) Okay, it's fair. There's plenty of people who do. The cannoli shops are not going to go out of business for a little bit. No, they're not. And it's definitely makes pastry for everybody that's freaking out. I agree. It's a great place. You should go there. It's the only one I've had there, and it is great. If you could play on any position on a hockey team, what would it be? I'm pretty weird, so I feel like I'm destined to be a goalie. And I was a goalie in my elementary school broom ball team. Very casual, so I feel like that makes sense for me. If you could create a hockey team full of past or present players, who would your first line be? Who are your forwards? Oh, gosh. I could name you guys, but could I name you their position? Absolutely not. Oh, my God. That's so embarrassing. Um, well, you can be their coach. You can just put them in the positions that you want. Okay, okay. See, this is the thing. Like, a lot of the really great players are not ones that I personally enjoy. But obviously, you'd have to have Sidney Crosby. Definitely Patrice Bergeron of years ago. I'm going to take like 2013, 2014 Patrice. Can I include the people that aren't in the NHL? Because I'd really like to have Hillary Knight on my team or MPP. I would take a few girlies up in there too. They would be really good. They would be. They would be. (laughs) One other final selection question. If you could guest star on as a detective (laughs) on any show in the Law & Order franchise, (laughs) past or present, what show would it be and who would you want as your detective partner? You're allowed to pick a detective from any show. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> this is probably the best question I've ever been asked. And I don't know if I have an answer. Because I'd love to, like, be a fly on the wall. Like, as a genuine fly. Like, if this was a real-life situation, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for either SVU or a criminal intent. There's something spooky about criminal intent that really speaks to me. There's a lot of profiling that sort of... Like, as, as a disabled person, like, sometimes you have to have a really good sense of who you're dealing with. So I feel like a lot of the times I'm really good at getting people. I don't like how all these partners kind of end up with each other. So not not in that way, but, like, I don't always like the, the confusing dynamics. So I think I'd have to ride solo or, like, be, like, iced tea or something. Just be completely unattached. Ice-T does not get enough respect. He, he is the, the underrated member of the SVU team. And then as we're closing up, just something that we ask all our guests to reflect on on this show. For you right now, what is the most isolating part about living with your disability at the moment? I think genuinely it's trying to figure out if I don't want to go outside because I genuinely feel like I thrive as being a hermit and I love being alone and not having to put pants on and go out into the real world or if it's because I'm truly worried about getting sick and I'm not immunocompromised or anything but I obviously have this disability that something that comes with it is like restrictive lung disease and I don't really have a hard time breathing as it is currently but that is something that I worry about because obviously this affects everybody differently. Um, and luckily, I'm in a position where I feel safe enough to be vaccinated and boosted. So in those regards, I feel like I'd be okay. And obviously, from an age perspective, I feel like I'd be okay. But you just never know. And so I'm really sort of in this place where I'm like, am I saying no to something because I genuinely don't want and I'm too lazy to go outside? Or is it because I'm also, you know, worried about getting sick? Or is it both? And what does meaningful connection look like for you? I would say this sort of relationship, friendship, whatever that I have with you now is the perfect example because a lot of the times I'll get emails like yours where someone will inquire about my position and wonder if I'll come on their platform to speak about it or get interviewed for it. Most times I'll take it, but I always do some sort of research about it and it was funny because I realized after you wrote to me that I was already following the platform that this is going to go up on and so there was some passive already connection between us in that regard and I also just was profoundly excited to be interviewed by another person with a disability because that is super super rare and someone also who enjoys being as weird as I am about shows or about sports and we didn't you know we didn't find out about the law and order connection until the other day so that was just a happy coincidence well Chanel thanks so much for being on the show and I I'm really looking forward to seeing where you go in your career and maybe one day I'll be talking to somebody who is the first disabled general manager of a professional sports team. And they'll say, hey, you know, when I was a kid, there was this woman, Chanel Keenan, in Seattle. And now this is what I do. So thanks so much for your time. <laughs> and I truly hope you are loving the revival of the original Law & Order. I'm excited to see it, honestly. <laughs> Connecting Disability is a production of AMI-audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production by Nizreen Abdel-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks to our guest today, Chanel Keenan. 
This episode is dedicated to the memory of Chanel sports hero and one of mine, Joey Moss. For more than 30 years, Joey served as the dressing room attendant for the Edmonton Oilers and the football team now known as the Edmonton Elks. And throughout that time, it dramatically changed the perceptions of what it means to live with Down syndrome. Special personal thanks go to my friends who work in sports journalism or have worked in hockey broadcasting, Alex Bloomfield, Jamie Nugenbauer, and Marcel Vanderweer. The media would be a different place if there were more men like you working in it. And to Jesse Bloomfield, Jillian Nugenbauer, and Amy Vanderweer for their continued friendship and support. Thanks so much for listening. We'll connect next time. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.